Get spanked. Me? Yeah. I think my friend's mom spanked me once with a wooden spoon. Your friend's mom? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is she mad? Like, nah, she's just kind of a mean person. <laughs> she just happened to be there. You ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up? You know that feeling that the whole country is like one inch away from saying, that's it, forget it. Let's see. Thanks, Mr. Uh, now look, here's a house full of bees. Like you think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a shit. Listen, let's get one thing straight. Price is right. Guns don't kill people. I I have heard that. You know what's funny is when an album is, as we, I always say, it's ingrained in your DNA. Like right two seconds in, I was like, I know that snare sound. Uh-huh. I was trying to think. I was like going through like stuff from my childhood, I remember. and That's also uh, that Operation Ivy. That's also known as the album with the worst guitar tone ever recorded. Oh, really? Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. Yeah, that, uh, that song or that... Uh, that album Jimmy turned me on to mm-hmm. right when I had graduated high school, moved down to Santa Rosa to, to work in my cousin's restaurant. I was uh-huh. living with, with Jimmy and I did not like punk music at oh, all. Really? At the time. Yeah. I'd never been exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And so when he, when he turned me on to that, I was like, kind of like afraid of it. <laughs> like, this is so gnarly. <laughs> it's so heavy. Right, <laughs> and now I like I look back on it. And I'm like, it's kind of like cute. Yeah, it's like you know? super poppy and yeah, it's got like reggae songs and ska songs. <laughs> I know. I remember hearing I heard that in high school, I believe, and I I loved it. I thought it was great. That um grew on me big time. But I I was never the. You have like Operation Ivy people that are just like psychophats, like that's like they're Led Zeppelin or whatever. So I never really took it that far. But that whole, uh, yeah, there were major, major players, that whole, like, East Bay scene that brought, like, Green Day and Sam I Am and, mm-hmm. I guess, Jawbreaker and 15. And, and oh, they eventually the, became Rancid, right? Yeah, Rancid, yeah. Same. Uh, little known fact, uh, the guitar on that album, and I think the first couple of Rancid albums is played by the bass player. What do you think of the bass tone on that album? Uh, it's much better than the guitar tone. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. I think it's cool. Yeah, I'm a sucker for that, some of those old uh, those old punk rock tones back then. 
Um, it, that wasn't the song I meant to play, by the way. Oh, really? yeah, yeah. You gave me a confused look. <laughs> I was looking. I was like, wait a second. This isn't what I was expecting. Um, you know what's funny? I posted, for our Patreon uh, supporters, I posted the interview that we did last week with Ryan Houston. Awesome. On, uh, on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, so for those of you that are supporting us on <clears throat> Patreon, go check it out. But uh, in that episode, we did that Enya song. This is, I was just going to bring this up. And so what's... You know what's a great thing about Enya? What? One of the many <laughs> great things about Enya. Uh, when you post things on YouTube, they do like a, almost like a, like a check. They check right. it for copyrighted material. Yeah. Right? Um, and then from there, they check it for COVID misinformation. And then yes. And from there, they check it for domestic extremism. And then if they get around to it, they check it for kitty porn. But it's not really up on not the, a, not not the priority. Not on the top of their list. Um, well... So they flagged... It's not like Twitter. No, wait. They don't check for that either. No, that's right. Maybe they should have someone from the FBI work there, and then, they would, then they'd be checking for it. Uh, you're halfway there. They do have people from the FBI working oh. there. They're just not checking for kitty porn. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Darn. Well, maybe Elon Musk should tell them about the kitty porn on there. <laughs> oh, wait a second. I'm reading. Oh, he did. Yeah. Okay, and they still didn't do anything. Okay. Anyways, uh, so I posted the video. They did the check, and they said there's copyrighted material on here. Uh -huh. Even though I believe we're allowed to talk, to do what we do, right? Because we're doing it in a documentarian sort of way of analyzing the songs and whatnot. Yeah. But um, anyways, they flag it anyways, which is a beautiful loophole. And the beautiful thing about Enya is that it says we found copyrighted material on your uh, on your on your video, um, but the person who owns the copyright. Is okay with you using it on YouTube. Hey. <laughs> Thanks, Enya. I Shout know. out. Another great thing about Enya, there's no advertising on their videos. Really? Yeah. Dang. And I don't know if it's just because they're not that popular. She's rolling that sail away or, money. I guess so. She just doesn't give a shit. <laughs> it's funny that you brought that up because we were watching, you know, if you're watching the video of this, we have that intro where we put together all these kind of clips. And there's some pretty dark slash, uh, I wouldn't say macabre, but uh, dark content in there. But it's just stuff from movies that we enjoy or that we thought were important. And it had this, when I was watching the Ryan Houston, so I was on, I kind of went out of town for the weekend. And uh, you put together that video and I watched it. And I was watching the intro. And to see that visual content with this beautiful Enya song is so perfect. And I remember, you know, bottle of wine down at my parents' house watching it going like, I wonder if we can buy the rights to this and just keep it, like make it our everyday intro. Because remember we talked about the juxtaposition of doing MMA and we're yeah. always listening to like, just like gay ass tech techno music yeah, or like old, weird dance old school, like low rider right. oldies. Yeah, and then we went to the gym and they were listening to Pantera one time. I was like, this is a little too much. It's like, yeah. we're not lacking in aggression here. Yeah. I think that goes for our intro too. Yeah. So to hear like, a punk song. I was like, yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I was like, but man, the, the the weird flowing juxtaposition of having Enya yeah. and then watching footage from Red Dawn and and it made me think while we were watching that, I was like, you know what? That's when I was a little kid, that's what made that movie A Clockwork Orange resonate so much for me. Because it's just like yeah. we're talking about the ultra violence and it's all this like disturbing, like dystopian kind of landscape yeah, stuff. Juxtaposed with Beethoven. With, yeah, with having like some of the most beautiful classical music yeah. throughout the movie. Totally. Uh well Wait till you hear the song that I meant to play <laughs> next time. <laughs> All right, so um, so I've been uh, I've been out of the loop. So you're gonna bring me up to speed on what's going on in the world. 
I'll do my best. Off the top of your head. Yeah. Uh, Accuracy is not one of our hallmarks, so don't 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 be stressed about this. Nor timeliness. Yeah. So uh, the, I want to show a video. JFK got shot. Yeah. <laughs> we landed on the moon. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> uh, I came across this video of Rishi Sunak before he was prime minister of the UK, England, right? Yeah, the UK, and uh, it was him at the. And uh, he was a uh, World Economic Forum global leader, wasn't he? Along with Justin Trudeau and Gavin Newsom, and isn't everybody? <laughs> That's a good point. I mean, Tulsi Gabbard. Tulsi was, Gabbard. Um. Just Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, there's exactly. like gray areas in there. I've heard these things be refuted, but there's definitely some kind of affiliation from almost anyone in politics, which I'm sure is just a complete coincidence. But Of course. But you have people that are out and proud, like World Economic Forum people that are very, do not hide the fact that they are carrying water. And the, the most glaring example of that would be Justin Trudeau. I, yeah. I've also heard that you can get named a young global leader without which I think being is what, at all involved. Right, which is what I think the defense of like Dan Crenshaw and Tulsi Gabbard was. was say, yeah. yeah, they named that. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't apply for that or anything. Who do you think's better, Dan Crenshaw or Tulsi Gabbard? Uh, Tulsi Gabbard, because my thing is anti-war, and so was she. Yeah, as someone who was a combat vet and came back and said right. like we need to be out of these countries. Um, as far as... I feel like Crenshaw is bad on a lot of things. He... I, I liked his act at first. Um, I ha, I ha, I'm a lot more, I guess, sympathetic to hear someone's views on foreign policy if they were an active combat vet, and he very much was. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, lost his eye in an IED attack. Um, I thought he did a good job when he kind of came out. Um, he would post these videos, I mean... I, I am reticent to apply any empathy towards any politician, so, so you know, I, 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 that, there's my bias. Uh, he did a good job, actually, of going through, uh, getting caught up in, like, the celebrity of politics and the gossip, and, like, now these, these Twitter gotcha moments, and everyone's trying to get, like, FaceTime, because, you know, they don't give a shit about legislation or policy. They give shit about power, growing their power. You know, getting a uh, host spot on Fox News or MSNBC, you know, after their term is up or whatever. But I thought Dan Crenshaw did a good job that he would go through, he'd post these videos going through spe the specifics and the nuances of bills, which I know is not, hmm. I mean, you know, today's uh, pop culture is. No one wants to pay attention to that, but I, I'm fascinated by it. Well, when you, you know, consider like how few uh, uh, bills get read that by, go through by the Congress, that's actually kind of like a radical move on his right. part. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, okay, kudos for reading the bill. Thank you. Yeah. And he's go through, he's like, here's exactly what the bill says. And he'd even present both sides. Like, here's the opposition to it. Here's the pro for it. And so, yeah, he, he just, uh, but at the end of the day, they're all politicians. Thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I'd say he like we talked about before. It's just a, a bad word. Yeah. All right. So, anyways, uh, Rishi Sunak back in 2021 was uh, part of the COP26 climate summit, mm -hmm. um, which is the 26th UN uh, summit on climate change. I think COP stands for. Convention on 
people. I don't know. <laughs> it's funny. I have it up in front of my computer, right? In front of my computer right now, and I don't see what COP actually stands for. Good delivery, though. Yeah. <laughs> it was held in uh, Glasgow, uh, like I said, in 2021. Anyways, I wanted to play this video because, in hindsight, you you really can just see like the evil that is behind all of this climate change yeah. stuff. Not just the climate change stuff, but the World Economic Forum and people like this guy that are just so clearly like right. bred and groomed and tailor-made That's to what I was take guess. over yeah. the world government, take over a, a country's government, usher that into world government, yeah. and then slowly just take away everything from all of us. You'll get nothing and like it. And end up with that. <laughs> That's from their website. <laughs> um, so, all right. Get a load of this guy. The first cop to bring together so many of the world's finance ministers, businesses, and investors with such a clear common purpose. To deliver the promise made in Paris six years ago to direct the world's wealth to protect our planet. The good news is that the will is there. At least 80% of the global economy has committed to net zero or carbon neutrality targets. There's so that net zero again. Yep. Now, uh... <laughs> <laughs> that's a callback to uh, we called the uh, horse and buggy a net zero vehicle and it turns out. Doing a little research, we were wrong. Other than that, sorry for the crass humor. Um, I, th I thought I had a sound for the. Uh... Never mind. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> we'll take that out in post. Uh, so he just said eighty percent of the world's economy has committed to net zero. Now I heard that and I'm like, what? Yeah. So what he he doesn't mean eighty percent of the people that make up the world's economy, 80% no. of the business owners. Right. He means the 80% of the money right. that's in the economy. Yeah. Which is controlled There's by... Like seven people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the seven of us <laughs> have agreed... So myself, BlackRock, Vanguard, and Bill Gates yeah. <laughs> come, to, <laughs> come to a conclusion. And, you know, he came from Goldman Sachs. Yeah, he, he is the, isn't he the wealthiest person in the UK? Something like that. I think he's one is of the he? wealthiest people yeah. in, the, in that entire area. It was just so strange how he came to power, too. Like, they got rid of Bojo, mm -hmm. and then they put in that chick that was supposed to be kind of conservative. Right. Um, and she lasted, like, like, 17 or 18 minutes, Something. I think. <laughs> and then, then he was installed. I heard an an amazing conspiracy theory that I can't tell you right now. I got to think about it, but they're like, "Well, here's why she was only in power for you know, like half a day or something like that." God dang it! I got to okay. It'll come to me later. Yeah. Okay. Um. So, anyways, I just thought that was kind of worth pointing out. Like, hold on a second. Eighty percent, because the people that own small businesses, yeah. small farmers of the world, people that drive a truck, like we're not interested in, in net, zero. net zero. No. Fuck off with And that. also, net zero is not a thing. Exactly. And when you hear net zero, what you should really hear is... You'll get nothing and like it. Okay, that's what, the, that's what the zero is in net zero. It means you will get nothing. It's they don't... It's either that or... How dare you? Yeah. 
I'm just so sick of all these warmongering pedophiles myself. Dude, yeah. I, uh, you know what? Smarter men than us have uh, definitely... Have, have said it better? Yeah, for sure, man. <laughs> I am so sick of these warmongering pedophiles! Oh, we're getting new toys. <laughs> we have a budget now. Mm, thanks, Patreon. Dude, I forgot to tell you. So I haven't, um, I haven't been drinking. Really? This month, except for right now. No, I'm, I'm drinking. Oh, dang! Kombucha. Nice, dude. I've been on the wagon uh, for the whole month. It's kombucha, Clem. <laughs> I'm calling it parched March. Oh, nice. Nice ring to it, right? So you can't do a month of not drinking unless it's like sober October. Like the month has to have. Right. So I was thinking about it yesterday. I was like, what if I get through March and I'm like, I'm liking not drinking mm-hmm. and then I want to go to April. It's like, well, I got to come up with a name for April too then. I think I got a good one. Okay. I'm going to call it A April. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Not bad. Pretty good. Huh? Jeez. Okay, back to the show. (laughs) (laughs) We'll take that out to impose. Our challenge now is to deploy the investment we need to deliver those targets around the world. To do so, we are accelerating three actions today. By the way, if you listen to this guy talk and you start to hear the Darth Vader theme music come in, (laughs) we didn't add that. Okay, that's your brain filling in the gaps. I think that this guy is truly evil. Yeah. Even if he's not, what he's talking about, obviously, clearly, is evil. He's talking about taking away the one thing that has led to the most peace and prosperity in the world, that has lifted more people out of poverty than anything else, and that is namely, well, two things. Kombucha. Thank you. (laughs) Root beer. Uh, Oil. And the free market, which are the two enemies of a guy like this who wants to consolidate power into the seven wealthiest people in the world to tell everyone else what to do. That is not a free market. Yeah. And which is o- the overarching theme of the World, world Economic Forum. Correct. Is what we, I think, is the thing that, and well, it's all related to COVID fuckery, the climate change, but we hit that more than anything else on this podcast. It's getting people to recognize that these global elites like this guy is the epitome um, ju- that Justin Trudeau is, you know, the Klaus Schwab's, the Yuval Harari's, and they talk about all these things. They talk about net zero. They talk about getting you out of your cars, the elimination of fossil fuels, and the most constant reminder that we have is telling people, like, they're not talking about them. They're talking about you guys, everyone right. else, the rest of you plebs, the 98% or whatever. Like, you guys will not have, you guys will own nothing and like it. Right. First, we need increased public investment. And I want to speak directly to the developing countries of the world. Which means increased taxes and or printing of money. Which is, which has the same net result. Exactly. Which basically is, you're paying for this. Which is net zero for you. <laughs> you're paying for your own destruction. You're paying for the destruction of your society. You're paying for your own impoverishment. Right. We know that you've been devastated by the double tragedies of coronavirus and climate change. Stop. Nope. Mm. 
No. Devastated by coronavirus. Wow, he must be talking about all of the millions of totally healthy people that were yeah. just completely wiped out there by coronavirus. And we keep bringing it up. When someone says that, say, stop. Like, we have an entire generation of kids that were just ruined by coronavirus. No, we were not. Coronavirus doesn't affect kids. Mm-hmm. Government reaction to coronavirus ruined a generation of kids. Yeah, shutting down schools, masking ruined kids. everyone. Yes. Closing businesses. That's yeah, cl- fucking up the uh, supply chains that hurt people around the world. That was all due a to virus, government actions. A virus does not stop a supply chain. Correct. I'd love to hear the argument against that. It's the bureaucratic reaction to whatever said crisis is, which is completely fabricated in the end anyway that we're finding out. And he said two things there. Corona, the, the, the dual um, tragedies of coronavirus and climate change. I, I, dude, I, I had I made a quick half-second bet. I was like, he's going to drop a Putin in there. So I was like, it's either going to be climate change, coronavirus, well, or Putin. This was 2021. So oh, okay. Yeah, not me. quite as uh, hot back then. All right. Um, so, yeah, and I don't, I don't know how these developing countries are suffering from climate change. Explain that to me. Yeah. Everyone in the world is healthier than they were 100 years ago. Yeah. Everyone's living longer. The planet is actually 15% greener and mostly in places where it was desert. Yes. And everybody's getting rich. I mean, free energy means cheaper stuff, and everyone gets rich together. That is literally happening. And it's, to- it's so great because it's, it just shows the difference between people from our way of thinking and people from a you know, straight-up regime, Democrat, or Republican way of thinking where we need, we need to help people so that they can, um, we can lift them up out of poverty by giving them stuff and then making them dependent on the government. We need to have government services. To, it's like, no, that's not what you do. You help those people by making them rich. We don't want to really help people by giving them stuff we want them to get rich we want poor people to do something miraculous Mm -hmm. and get fucking filthy stinking rich that's how we want the world to get better and guess what that has been happening over the last century Mm -hmm. or more uh, thanks to oil and the free market i mean boil it down to two basic i hear people like this speak and you know this kind of dovetails on what you were just saying if someone were to say what's your elevator pitch like i don't have time to talk about the world economic forum and the world bank and the imf and the federal reserve and the creation of the central banking system like right just keep me quick i'm like there is an active cabal of political like the most powerful people in the world trying to destroy the american way of life why I was like, because the American way of life has created more wealth and more lifting of people out of poverty and misery than any other system in any other country in the history of the world. Why would someone want to destroy that? I was like, because when you create prosperity, in turn, prosperity creates self-sufficiency. Mm-hmm. And people that are self-sufficient cannot be subjugated and controlled. Right. So that's why they, they want to completely no, destroy, they don't need this, anything. They don't destroy the system we're at now get people in such a miserable level in their little tiny you can only take public transportation you you know no more private property you're going to get your government food you're not allowed to have meat you're going to have your bug burger and everything and you're just in you have nothing so it's like i can't like my life is such it's so miserable in the day-to-day existence and they try to sell it to you that you're going to love this which is the, the most fucking demented yeah. sales pitch i've ever heard and, you know, so you'll be willing to accept it. So it take, take it as like, a, like a, a microcosm, right, of that same system. It would be, you know, 
the COVID thing. We're going to shut down all the businesses. We're going to take your kids out of school. You can't go to work. And you're just like, we, it's, uh, I can't, I can't remember. There's a, there's a name for this. It's not the Mott and Bailey, but it's something else. It's, it's, oh, it's, um, problem solution reaction. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 uh, we're going to create the problem. Uh, you will be in such a state of misery or like, give us some answers and then we will give you the answers. We've already predetermined the answers before we created the problem, by the way. Yep. So, yeah, this guy is the epitome of that. Yep. Which is, that's the elevator pitch for the entire World Economic Forum. So I was like, what, what is it that they really are trying to do? I was like, that would, that would be what I would say. Ding! Have a good day. <laughs> that's why the G20 is stepping up to provide debt treatments more swiftly. It's why the IMF are providing a new $650 billion allocation of special drawing rights, and Kristalina will say more on this later. And it's why we're going to meet the target to provide $100 billion of climate finance to developing countries. And while we know we are not yet meeting it soon enough, we will work closely with developing countries to do more and to reach the target sooner. Over the next five years, we will deliver a total of $500 billion of investment to the countries that need it most. And we can do more today. I can announce that the United Kingdom will commit £100 million to the Task Force on Access to Climate Finance, making it quicker and easier for developing countries to access the finance they need. And we're supporting a new capital markets mechanism which will issue billions of new green bonds here in the UK to fund renewable energy in developing countries. Two tangible, practical examples of how we're delivering our promise of $100 billion. So you might not want it, but the you're getting it. <laughs> IMF. The old IMF and the World Bank. Have you looked a lot into like what the mechanism by which the World Bank operates? Yes. Which is synonymous with the U.S., more or less. Mm-hmm. But I heard a great metaphor for it. Okay. Uh, from a someone involved in the real estate industry. It's like, you remember the 2008 crash, right? Oh, yeah. And everyone was given these um, adjustable rate mortgages. It's like, hey, a guy that obviously can't afford this $400,000 house, we're going to give you a, uh, they even had what they called ninja loans, no income, no job applications. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And so people, you know. Also known as the fog the mirror test. (laughs) They would hold a mirror under your nose. If you fogged the mirror, you'd get the loan. Here's the keys. (laughs) And he explained like this, like, well, the bank was knowingly selling these loans that they knew that people couldn't afford to keep, uh, particularly when you get into the the mortgage-backed securities and the... the I mean, it was stated income. Can you believe that shit? I actually got one of those loans. You just... It was that was a term that they used in the industry, stated income. I remember at that time, everyone I knew bought a house, and my girlfriend at the time said, like, we got to buy a house. I'm like, No. She goes, why not? It's like, I don't have any money. <laughs> I'm not going to buy a house. Is they, so the bank was, you know, basically, I think most people know, like, basically how that, how that model worked. But the interesting question is, when we talk about things like the IMF and the World Bank, is why would the bank knowingly basically write, underwrite millions of loans that they knew they were going to fail? This guy explained it like this. He goes, because... Money is more or less arbitrary. We just print, you know, it's made up. 
you know, the val- right. value of it is, is made up at this point. And we're not giving anyone any money. We're giving them a piece of paper, like, here's $400,000 right. for your house. And then when the, with, with an adjustable rate mortgage, we know you can't even afford the principal as it is. And even if you could, the, 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 the rate gets adjusted. So now, even if you can't afford it, if you're one of the fortunate people that can't afford it, good on you. But it could be that that now you're paying if you you know now you're paying for a house that has not nowhere near the worth of what you're paying. So even if you could afford it, you're like, I'm I'm basically paying for a, a seven hundred thousand dollar house right now that's worth three hundred thousand dollars. Like, I'd, and so everyone just like walks away from the house. Everyone says like, oh, that must be a travesty for the bank. It's like, no, because all the bank did is go, here's your piece of paper with four hundred thousand dollars. You walked out of the house. What's the tangible asset? It's the house. The bank got the house. Like it was a perfect. Ponzi scheme, basically. It Not only did they wrong. get the house, they also got seven hundred billion dollars in bailouts. Hey, yes, then they get the bailouts. I mean, Obama held their feet to the fire. I mean, it's, which they said, like, no, how about a bailout instead? It's the most ridiculous system when you think about it. That all these banks are making, they're printing money, mm-hmm. and then they're making quote risky loans, mm-hmm. but it's not risky because they just printed the money out of thin air there's no money right i mean they didn't print it the federal reserve printed it but they gave it to them for for free basically and well the money's got to be somewhere like well no and then you start looking into uh fractional reserve banking and yeah, <laughs> the no, money no one is, has any yeah, money there's no there's no money it's, it's in a computer right it says x amount of dollars it just says it there and that's that's where it is so, so then ahead. on top of that they get bailed out, and they know they're going to get bailed out. They know that they're going to be too big to fail. And when Obama tried to hold their feet to the fire, they were like, no. Yeah. I don't think so, buddy. Hey, guy that Can't, was put in office, yeah. buy it. Fork it over. <laughs> by us, yeah. by the way. So. so the way that it was explained, that, that real estate model, he goes, well, that's exactly what the World Bank model is in the IMF. Mm-hmm. And so when we go into these countries, and a, a book that really perfectly explains this is Confessions of an Economic Hitman. Uh, which came out in the early 90s. Yeah, it's, it's old Quite now. a while, yeah, yeah. It's on its third edition right now. But it's the exact same kind of model because the U.S. would, or essentially would broker the loan through the World Bank because we run the World Bank more or less than the IMF. The IMF is uh, like the European version of the World Bank. Is that how it works? I think something like that, kind of, yeah. The World Bank's more of a U.S. I've, but they do the same there's thing. There's so much overlap from them, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. They essentially do the same thing, though, right? right? Make these loans to poor countries. So what we, the way that this model works, for those of you that aren't weird nerds like we are, (laughs) is the U.S. would go to a country, you know, say in South America, and say, we're going to loan you guys, you know, whatever, $20 billion. Hold on, you're skipping the step where they overthrow the leader of that that country. That's coming. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) First is the pitch. And so they go, like, we're going to loan you guys. Wouldn't you guys love a, I don't know, whatever, like a hydroelectric plant or a dam or update your, your electrical infrastructure? Mm-hmm. And so for the people not in the know, I mean, we've been doing this for over a century at this point. And they, and they go, like, yeah, that would be great if they were completely oblivious to what this model was. So we go, like, okay, good. You're using our contractors, which are politically connected and, you know, political elites, so we are going to provide an infrastructure. So there's fuckery number one. And then the John Perkins from Economic Hitman, he actually describes it. He goes, you've got to think about 
this is what he what's known in his circles as the death economy. Have you ever heard that term? Mm-mm. So the death economy is basically a con an, an econom- economic model based solely on just wildly short term profits with no regard for whatever destruction or you know the system falling apart on the road. Like right. Not concerned. It's basically just like you run the business. Like you, you take a, a respected car company like Ford, right? And you just start pumping out like the worst cars ever based on the good name of Ford, right. drive it totally into the ground, and then turn the thing over for scrap at or, the end of the day. Or if you want to make a more accurate kind of metaphor towards the World Bank and the IMF model, and what the U.S. would broker these deals with you know, a lot, mostly in South America at this point, it would be buying the Ford Motor Company, selling off all the machinery and factories, <laughs> you know, and like, look, we made $400 million in profit this year. I have, I'd no longer have a business. Like this is our last year operation. Yeah, like that's that's kind of more close to what you know, right. the, the way that we brokered these loans. So, the you go into these countries and say, we're going to build this plant. We're going to build this plant, and we're going to loan you the money to pay us to build this plant. And it has these very like short term benefits right off the bat because what it does is it it only benefits the more political elites in that country. Let's say we went into Ecuador, for example. We're going to make you a hydroelectric plant, and we're going to give you $20 billion. You're going to use our private contractors, which I'm sure the price is wildly, you know, inflated, and then probably goes down from levels from there. I'm I'm sure, like, that night at dinner, Nancy Pelosi leans over to Paul and goes, like, now's a good time to buy Halliburton, if you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. assuming he's not in the middle of a violent gay love affair with, with um, Henry Wheeling maniac. <laughs> a, a tryst? Okay, but a tryst, yeah. It's not, but that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> and what happens is the loan is structured in such a manner that it's impossible to pay back for that country, right? It's, it's, we, we don't want the money because what we want is to come to you and go like, okay, so they're going to try to pay back that loan within, the, you know, in the first couple of years, they try to start paying that back. It's impossible. They're impossible terms, just like the adjustable rate mortgages. It's the exact same model. And what that happens is the people, the population of that country are the ones that immediately get fucked because the first place that they draw money from their economy is going to be like social services and schools and such. Like, we got to pay the big dog here. There's like the biggest military in the world is saying, like, where's our fucking money? And so they start pulling money from places that immediately affect the population. This is the beginning stages of, of the death economy. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, because the loan is structured in such a way, it's impossible to pay back. And so <coughs> we go to them, go to Ecuador, you know, this hypothetical example. I have actual examples here, too. We go, like, we know you're having a little trouble paying the loan back. And they're like, yeah, we just we don't. I can't, we can't come up with this, this much money. And like, well, <clears throat> how about this? Why don't we privatize your timber industry, for example? Or we notice you're sitting on all this oil, for example. Or you guys sure have a lot of copper there or cobalt or lithium, and we get access to their natural resources. And we bring in another wave of private contractors that can now take whatever resources as a way to leverage the payments for the loan. Mm-hmm. And added bonus, oh, we don't have these pesky like uh, environmental regulations that we have in the U.S. with all these like – bloody hippies like yelling at us about drilling into the ground and they just if you are at all an environmentalist and care about the planet like this is this is something that is ruining the planet right of like private contractors coming in from the u.s to leverage these loans and just stripping the earth bare and that is what the death economy is it's like well don't they have a vested interest in not like ruining the river and the fucking groundwater and stripping you know generations of whatever natural resource they have like 
No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they don't give a fuck because it's not their country. Right. They're going to move on to the next country after that. And the people buy into it at first because they're promised, you know, higher paying jobs. Right. And things. But a lot of times what happens is the, and this is what, how it kind of ties into what Rishi Sunak was saying, they come in and they, they offer to build infrastructure that the country doesn't really need. But a business that's going into, like, let's say take uh, the cobalt right. out of the ground, or the oil out of the ground, yep. they need it. So they build a railroad that goes to these, like, industry-specific areas in the country doesn't really help the people but it does help these industries right so the people end up with no improvement in their life they give up doing what they were doing which wasn't making them rich but it was enough to sustain who they were let's say like a farmer right who was a subsistence farmer this is now he's farming rice only and he's exporting rice and now he's getting paid for exporting rice he can't sustain his own life anymore because all he's growing is this one monocrop right and monocrop Which is, in turn ruins the soil. It, exactly. It ruins his natural environment. So even if you wanted to go back to subsistence farming and, you know, supporting like a basic a smaller local scale, you couldn't. What a good analogy too for why world government is so such a bad idea. Right. It's the monocrop of ideas. Not bad, dude. You know what I mean? It is. It's like, no, you instead of having all of these different types of government and self-rule here and autonomy there and all these different kind of yeah. experiments happening, no, you just have one government ruling over everything. It's the same thing as the disaster that you can create from a monocrop. Uh, I just not to do too far down the rabbit hole, but just I want to make a quick callback is what you're talking about is when they bring in the private contractors, they're going to create the infrastructure for this trading that they whatever said country, usually the U.S., all, almost always the U.S., as they were trying to create a global hedge army for over a decade now. Now we actually have some competition with China, which we can get into later. But when they bring in the private contractors to build that infrastructure with all the railways and the shipping magnets, this is what we hit on one of our first episodes that we connected uh, Tom Cochran, who wrote Life as a Highway, and he happened to be in Africa at this mm-hmm. same time, which Coincidence? coincidentally <laughs> inspired him to write Life as a Highway. While also, like, you know, he worked for a record label, which was connected to the shipping magnate uh, companies that ran this entire, like, corrupt system. Glad you brought that up. Yeah. I just, I don't want that to fall between the cracks. No, we can't let that happen. Uh, Yeah, so anyways, that's that's kind of, you know, the IMF and the World Bank. When when you hear a global leader talking about providing funding to these poor countries so that they can become net zero, it's like... What, they don't want that. No. You're forcing that on them. You're going to ruin their economy, impoverish them, and make them beholden to your stupid net zero program. So you bring up a good point. With If a country – so here's where here's – where, Look at Sri Lanka. They bought into it, and look what happened to them. Yeah. And there's also people already suggesting that Sri Lanka, they're going to need another loan from the IMF or the World Bank to get out of this problem. I'm like, that's that's how they got there. That's how they got there. And every time a country is told the IMF to fuck off, like, they have coincidentally... Glad you brought that up. <laughs> because, so if people say it's, okay, if we have this track record of people that deal with the World Bank or the IMF, and it just ends up devastating a country, so people say, like, well, what... After a while, on the third or fourth country, when they go like, we're not interested, right? So if you think about it, 
what were the leaders of that country like? Why would they accept these loans? Well, it's it's one of two things. Is it number one? So just keep in mind, empathy deficient, like complete morally bankrupt psychopaths is not a U.S. thing. They're in every country all over the place. So not just a U.S. thing. Yeah, not just the U.S. Yeah. So possibly the leader of that country, which might explain how he got to power, is one of those people because these loans wildly benefit the leadership that takes on the loan, you know, and the politically connected, just like they do in the U.S., right? And so let's say he's like, I, I know this will ruin the country, and I don't care. It's, it's going to benefit, you know, my small, like, political elite, you know, this, this echelon of political elites. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. And it's just going to create this, such a wild division of wealth, but it doesn't matter because I'm in this top strata. Number two, you get the occasional leader that says, like, no, not interested. This will actually just devastate my country and I see that you know I've looked at Ecuador and Uruguay and Brazil and the things that you guys have done there and we're not going to end up like that well this is what's behind number two and this is what that book uh, John Perkins uh, Confession of Economic Hitman is about and he knows this because he was one and he saw the stuff in person and he actually took part in this model is that's what they refer to in these circles as this when the jackals come in right and these are private contractors hired through the CIA they go in there and they do anything from they bring democracy they, yeah they drop some fucking democracy <laughs> on your ass democratic republic of congo who happens to be sitting on 75% of the world's cobalt which is an essential mineral for electric vehicles get ready for some democracy bud <laughs> yeah i don't know if they they're already doing it they're I, already doing it although it's china that i think that's so yeah so them the most for the first time in world history the us was the main the one probably the only like substantial purveyor of this wonderful death economy. And for the first time in world history, we have um, competition, and that's with China, although they're doing like a slightly different model of it. So a perfect example is the, there was a president, his name is, it was Ecuador, and he was in, uh, president in the 90s for 10 years, which is the, one of the longest running, <laughs> you know, presidents in that area, uh, which we can get into lately with their um, airline safety statistics, we'll call that. <laughs> and he said they, the Ecuador had already uh, accepted, accepted a loan through the World Bank uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, I think. And they had been behind on the payments. And this guy came and he ran on a platform of labor reform and workers' rights. He was a far left guy and he won in a runoff election. And he goes, we're not paying this. Like, we don't, Ecuador does not owe this money. The banks do. The people, the corrupt politicians and the banks made this deal. And we are going to completely default on their payments, right? We're not paying you guys anymore. Mm -hmm. And then right at the last second, China came in and said, like, hey, before everything gets off the rails, we'll pay the loan back and we'll pay it. You know, and you guys can pay us. And they structured the loan that, what, unlike how the U.S. would do it, they structured the loan in such a manner that it could be paid back. And so as China is one of, of like player number two of this kind of global hedge economy that they're trying to pull off of like basically global domination, China is known for its more like long-term strategy and thinking. They don't do this death economy. Like, no, we're not, we're not in the, we don't think it's a sustainable model to go in there and completely ruin a country, get the population in a revolution and starvation and devoid of, you know, pollution everywhere and no drinking water and no more natural resources. We got to play the long game. Like, we got to get in there, establish these relationships, and, like, slowly, basically build our world empire that way. 
So they stepped in with Ecuador, bought the loan, structured the payments that would be easier to pay back. And uh, in turn, the U.S. is like, well, we got our money, so I guess that's fine. And so what's, the US, what's China trying to export right now? And that's what we talk about with the social credit system, which is central bank digital currency that we talk about, or the surveillance state, facial recognition software, all this stuff. You know, the World Economic Forum talks about this all stuff. It's already being done in China, mm -hmm. and it's terrifying. It's just, it's, in my mind, it's the end of humanity. Yeah. That happens. Like, we're, there's yeah. Freedom is out the window. If you want to take a wild guess what country was the first one outside of China to adopt this social credit score system? Uh, was it? No, I'm not going to guess. I don't want to sound stupid. Ecuador. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> That's right there for me. <laughs> <laughs> We've rehearsed this three times. <laughs> so when they talk about that these countries that want to refuse, you know, that they're like, um, you know, they say they, they stand up, they're a far leftist, they, you know, they get elected in this landslide and say, like, no, I'm not letting you devastate my country. And then we have examples of this. So we have people like uh, Jaime Roldos from, he was the first guy from Ecuador. He ran, he, he ran also a far-left campaign. He groomed that other guy that stood up to the World Bank in the 90s, but this guy was in 81. And he just said, like, no, we're not, we're, I'm severing ties with all these U.S.-backed infrastructure products, projects that are, like, ruining our country. Dies in a plane crash, 1981. Three weeks later, uh, Torrios in Panama, same thing. He goes, yeah, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm seeing what's going on here. You're ruining every country. He goes, Yeah. Not gonna have it. Three weeks after the first guy died, he dies in another plane crash. So, the CIA loves plane crashes, don't they? <laughs> they really, really do. So that's why I'm sure when. Uh, Are you about to jump to 9/11? No. Okay. <laughs> Good. Glad you gr glad you brought that yeah. up. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's the point being that. Even if someone is able to recognize, and they do recognize that, you know, these establishments, these deals, you know, that that Rishi Sunak is bringing up, like we're going to allocate, you know, whatever five hundred billion dollars. Well, they they act projects. like they're doing some sort of charity by just giving this money to these countries yeah. so that they can ha get rid of oil and go to solar and wind and what they're no, they're loaning them the money. At rates they can't pay back, right. in order for them to get rid of the one thing that has made them successful over the last century. Yeah. Get rid of that and then pay take this loan to get it yeah. that you can't pay and back. And if you don't, you end up like uh, Allende in Chile, Mabamba in Congo, and um, or you end up in like Iraq or Zian in Vietnam. These are all people. And th this, these or are, you these jump out of the, the frying US pan. Admit it to like you, yeah, we, you jump out of that frying pan and you land in the. China's fire with social credit score. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Those are your options. Yep. I mean, it's pretty bad when our system of, I don't know what you call this, foreign investment <laughs> is... <laughs> putting it mildly. Is, uh, it's completely outdone by China. Yeah. You know, it, it's out, outdone is not the right word, but uh, China makes it look like it's evil. Yeah. You know, when a communist dictatorship like China has the softer approach. You got to really look in the mirror and see what you're doing. So. Yeah. 
All right, anyways, I'm going to get back to Rishi here. I'm sure there's plenty more to say on the World Bank stuff. but So he was outlining the three actions in order to get yeah. to this net zero uh, world that we all so desperately want. But public investment alone isn't enough. Our second action is to mobilize private finance. Read fascism. Let me pay an enormous tribute to Mark Carney for his leadership, leadership that is delivering results. The Glasgow Financial Alliance for Net Zero has now brought together financial organizations with assets worth over $130 trillion of capital to be deployed. Why, you got to ask, why do you think these uh, private firms would want to be involved in this? Is it because they just have so much money they need to do something good with it? <laughs> you know, they're just they're trying to give it away? Or could it be that it's profitable for them to be invested in this yes. stuff, right? Obviously. Yeah. And why would Rishi Sunak and these world governments want to use private money when they can just print money or raise taxes or do this stuff themselves? It's because they want to have – there's things that private companies can do that governments can't. Especially in places with strong laws. Yeah. But what he's describing is fascism. Yeah. It's a public-private partnership, which anytime you hear that, you should just hear fascism. Yeah. Because he's talking about the seven dudes in the room. NPR, fascists. <laughs> PPS, fascists. Exactly. Don't get me started this on the DMV. This is a historic <laughs> wall of capital for the net zero transition around the world. What matters now is action, to invest that capital in our low carbon future. To do that, investors need to have as much clarity and confidence in the climate impact of their investments as they do in the traditional financial metrics of profit and loss. Hmm, profit and loss. That would be the free market. Mm -hmm. I think what he's talking about is profit and profit. <laughs> profit and your loss. Because there is no loss. They're not going to lose anything. They're going to, there's no risk. Anyone that invests in this is going to be backed by the full faith and security of the U.S. government and the World Bank and the IMF. And um, they're not. They need to believe in what he's saying. Is they need to believe in this system as much as they believe in the free market. It's not the free market. Yeah. It's this fascist system that we're talking about. So yeah, and I don't think it's a tough sell. They're fully guaranteeing any money that's right. going into this. So our third action is to rewire the entire global financial system for net zero. Better and more consistent climate data. Sovereign green bonds, mandatory sustainability disclosures, proper climate risk surveillance, stronger global reporting standards, all things we need to deliver. And I'm proud that the UK is playing its part. We've already made it mandatory for businesses to disclose climate-related financial information, with 35 other countries signing up to do the same. Today, I'm announcing that the UK will go further and become the first ever net zero aligned financial centre. This means we are going to move towards making it mandatory for firms to publish a clear, deliverable plan 
setting out how they will decarbonize and transition to net zero with Mandatory. an independent task force to define what's required. So, a renewed pledge to $100 billion a year of public funding, over $130 trillion of private capital waiting to be deployed, and a greener financial system underway. We're talking about making a tangible difference to people's lives, about cheap, reliable and clean electricity to power schools and hospitals in rural Africa, Doesn't happen. about better coastal defences in the Philippines and the Pacific Islands to protect people from storm surges, about everyone everywhere having fresher water to drink, cleaner air to breathe, better insulated homes in which to live. Fewer puppies dying. Grandma living forever. It's <laughs> Dogs and cats not living together. It's, <laughs> it's such a pipe dream, all this stuff. Clean, reliable energy, right. uh, renewable energy. Like, that's an oxymoron. Yeah. It's not reliable. Yep. That's the problem with it. They give you California. Yeah. Less bullying in schools. It's like <laughs> everything great is going to happen if you just get behind this one world government, this ESG and central bank digital currency. That this, this guy is the, the British version of Justin Trudeau. That's, I mean, it's the exact oh, yeah. same thing. It's just the, the, the narratives have slightly different titles, but it is, it is exactly the same. Do you, do you think – this is something I always think about this because I'm always interested in the psychology of people. Do you th like? Do you think that he knows he's evil? Or is he? Th do you think? No. He actually, let me rephrase that. Do you think that he thinks he's doing a noble thing? Yes, I do. I don't. I think he does think <clears throat> that this is noble because he's he thinks that he is a central, like the perfect central planner. He thinks that if the power and frankly, I think that too mm -hmm. about myself. That <laughs> give me all the power in the world. And I would make the world into a much better place than okay, it is so, now. So, so, and that, I think that he thinks the same thing. Okay, so that's a little different. That's because that's kind of what I think. Is that's why I think about him, a Justin Trudeau, a Gavin Newsom, and an Anthony Fauci. It's like you guys just let us do this. Like we know you don't know what we know. We know better than yeah. you. And it's I know I even know that it's gonna suck for you. This is not a system that's going to work, but. In the greater good, which I just anytime you hear that, yeah, say should, no, no I, not interested, not interested. Yeah, is in the great. It's better for the greater good. So this is what he's saying is exactly the same thing as when you hear like an Anthony Fauci saying like, "What you manipulated the data, or you're wrong, you're lying." Like he's like, "Well, I had to because I couldn't give you guys the actual information because then you wouldn't go get the vaccine, for example." Yeah, like I'd lie, I'd lie to you for your benefit. It's just like yes, that is. Such a glaring symptom of a political elite. Like, well, yeah. you know, you guys are fucking idiots. You're just like a bunch of like welders and grocery store <laughs> grocery store clerks. Like, yeah. you, you you can't be making your own decisions. You know, if if elections had that much consequences, they wouldn't be left up to the public. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's it, that type of person um, is incapable of looking at history. And seeing how this was tried before and never succeeded, it always fails. It's um, they think that they are the smartest person in the room, even though they, by all measures, are not. Like most of the things that they tell us are wrong, 
So they're either lying or dumb. Yeah. Um, and that's who's drawn to this line of work of enforcing their will on everyone else yeah. around them. It's really sick. It's just like the, um, I mean, Bill Gates is that kind of person. Yes. Right? He just he's thinks. Epit- he's the epitome of that. Exactly. Yeah. Like his ideas about blocking the sun. To, to prevent climate change. He takes change. it to another level. Like, he, he has a, I think he adds in a, uh, a very entertaining and, and enjoyable to watch uh, God complex that he has. Like, he actually thinks, like, I, I need to control the, the, the weather, weather. <laughs> basically, and the population, and getting the population. Like, he has some... Yeah. He's a broken individual. Like, he is the most one of the most morally bankrupt, empathy-deficient people I've ever... I mean, imagine thinking that, that you know for a fact... That you're right, that the world's population is too great and it needs to be shrunk, or um, climate change is so such a crisis that you need to step in and remove people's ability to feed themselves, or remove, clothe themselves, or remove them altogether, <laughs> or just remove them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, it kind of reminds me of like the spring. Do you know that they seed clouds? Yes. In eight states in America I to do. try to make it rain. I do. There is no evidence that it works. No. Yet they spray shit into the air to try to make clouds. Oh, like what? Chemtrails? <laughs> Sounds like chemtrails. It is. Is it turning the frogs gay? Is that what's going on? Apparently it's not doing anything. It, it's, it's, uh, I think it's called silver nitrate, and it's totally harmless by all accounts, right. we think. But still, what gives... Like, I can't just go start spraying shit into the air yeah. off my roof. Even if it's not harmless, I mean, my neighbors would complain. Eventually, someone would come and tell me to stop. You know, what but you, these, you know, what you could do <laughs> what? I, I don't want to get off topic here. Yeah, but, I have a feeling you do. <laughs> but we agree to stop drinking in July. Yes, but I just drink all the time before you behind your back. Okay, you know, and you suffer through the entire month. And the end, I'm like, ah, dude, I've been having this great time. You lie, July. <laughs> Been working on that since we started the podcast. <laughs> what have you been talking about this whole time? <laughs> okay, so um, cloud I mean, seeding. Yeah, so yeah, I just don't, I don't get it. It's like it's these kinds of people somehow just end up with the power. No one actually wants him to do these things that yeah. he's talking about. The countries that he's bringing it to don't want it. Right. It's just a few elites that want it. Yeah. It's kind of like when the IMF uh, sponsors the CIA to overthrow a democratically elected leader in a country so they can install someone that's going to be more amenable yeah, okay, to easy. their... That didn't happen in Chile and Ecuador and <laughs> Panama and the Congo and Cameroon and Liberia. Come on, dude. You're, uh, you're putting into power this one dude. Why does this one guy, this one warlord, all of a sudden get to dictate what's happening to yeah. Chile or to Cameroon? Because, you know, you know what, the, the question you asked is actually... The more I read into this, if you think about it, is so when you go to the leader of whatever, Uruguay, and say like, um, how would you like to, you know, or loan you money for a dam or whatever, and you're like, no, I don't, I don't really like that, <laughs> you know, does it, you know, the terms of this loan is, are not sustainable or or whatever it is, and everything that we went through before, but you got to think about. What, what, what's the decision that you have as that leader? Let's say that you're not a complete psychopath, and let's say you actually care about your country. Is if you look at the track record of the U.S. in you know, Latin America and Africa, you know, even up to today, and now like China's entered it, and China's like 
heavy in Africa right now. That's where they're putting all their money. Mm-hmm. Is um, or their loans, and they have China doesn't do it through the World Bank or the IMF. They have their own bank. I think it's called the AAIA, which is like their own kind of World Bank. So they're like I said, they're kind of playing this long game. But to go back to when you talk about the leader of this country, like, wh- well, what, what's your what's really your choice? Like, let's look at the history of what the U.S. has done over the last century in these countries. It's like I can make we can make you wildly wealthy. You and you're politically connected, you're 1%, right? And it's going to devastate your country. Or we're going to kill you. Like, you're getting on a plane and you're fucking not coming off that plane. Right. Or, you know, we will, uh, I mean, it could be, you know, they they mix it up a lot. I mean, like I said, the CIA loves planes. If you look at the amount of people in, of Latin American leaders that died in plane crashes, it's fucking almost ominous mm-hmm. or hilarious. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, but th- you know they could go like, well, what we'll do is we can uh, organize and facilitate a, mil- a political clu- a coup to get you thrown out of office and maybe you get beat to death in the streets or you have to flee your country. Um, which like we did in Ukraine in 2014, no one seems to like to talk about, and we will get a leader in there that's sympathetic to our interests, you know, that will take that loan, because it's basically, you don't have a choice. It's silver or lead kind of deal from the from the old school. Right. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, the, I was looking at people that uh, mysteriously died in plane crashes, and I found my personal favorite. It was a former U.S., obviously former, U.S. Secretary of Commerce under the Clinton administration. He was killed in a plane crash in Croatia in 1996. I was like, he's on that list of, like, people that were potentially politically assassinated. But I'm like, there was also 34 other people on that flight. And you go, like, that's a that's a heavy roll of the dice. Like, we need this guy dead. But there's 34 other people on that flight, like, all the staff members and maybe even some like random people. And you just think like, that could be just a coincidence. I mean, I know planes crash, but they happened to go through the wreckage. You had a bullet hole in the back of his head. No way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How does that work? Uh, Ron Brown. Uh, how that works is, I don't know what he knew or did, but, uh, no, but I mean, no, the logistics, Oh, of the plane crash, of killing him, and then the plane crash. Well, it probably is they had someone shoot him on the plane, and then they killed the guy. They wiped out everyone, like they covered their tracks. So what I thought, like, so did the guy that pulled the trigger also die in the plane crash? Right, correct. So he was just like, so taking, I'm gonna, taking one for I'm the team. I'm gonna hire you to kill someone on a plane, but I need to cover my tracks for hiring you. So, well, why not just crash the plane? Well, fair question. Is I thought, you know. Did some digging. I'm like, oh, you served for the Clinton administration. And I got like, eh. Like, I don't know what this dude knew, but old Killary was crossing all our T's and dotting her eyes on this one. All right. <laughs> Belt and suspenders approach. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I was thinking about this, uh, the climate stuff, from the watching this Rishi Sunak video. And uh, it just struck me. It's like. All you have to say is it's for the climate, and everyone just is like, oh, yes, yes, we must do everything we can, whatever the cost, because yeah. it's just such a crisis. And it made me... It's the same model as the COVID. Yes. It's, just, it's you get people that are solely fixated on the emotional pleas, and all the emo- all the arguments for it are emotional. And um, it's how you, I don't know, it's just an easy way to get people on board, you know. 
just start calling people a grammar killer, you know, because they want to go to work. The same thing with the climate. Just send, tell them they're ruining the earth by, you know, he, your neighbor's still using a ga- uh, gas leaf blower. Like, tell him he's killing the earth. Yeah. It's a cult. Yeah, it absolutely is. Yeah. It has, we, we talked about this before, it has all of the components of a cult, right? It has, like, irrationality. It has just, it's a complete descri- uh, this deconstruction of objective truth. Yeah. Right? You know, when you go to people like, um, you know, you guys as Lord and Savior Al Gore are saying, like, Miami and New Orleans were supposed to be underwater by 2020. Like, it didn't really happen. And you're just like, no. Like, we, we moved on to this this other thing. You guys have false idols. You have Greta Thunberg. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, like, this autistic Swedish chick, like, she's kind of, we hold her up on this pedestal. And whatever comes out of this, that insane yap of her mouth, like, we, we hold that as the Bible and repeat it and make bumper stickers out of it. It has all of the components of a religious cult. Yeah. Check this out. November 18th, 1978, Ooh, Jonestown, this. Guyana. 909 members of People's Temple died in what must, what has been called the largest mass suicide in modern history. Nobody joins a cult. Nobody joins something they think is going to hurt them. You join a religious organization, you join a political movement, and you join with people that you really like. I think the early 60s had been a time of great optimism. The message of People's Temple was, no, the dream is alive. Oh, no. Who's going to decide who and when a person's going to die? We must never allow that, because this is the kind of thing that ushers in the terror of a Hitler's Germany. What I saw that creation as being was building a city where we could move and raise our children outside of the oppression and the racism of the United States of America. He said, this punch is going to be passed out to everybody here, and we will all die right here in the church together as one. We did not want this kind of ending. We wanted to live, to shine, to bring light to a world that is dying for a little bit of love. It's a fascinating story, man. It's the same thing. These people who are falling hook, line, and sinker for the climate cult, they they want to save the world. They, they're good-hearted people that feel like right. they're doing the right thing, um, but they're being indoctrinated into something where they're asked to give up their rationality. They're asked not to think critically. In a lot of cases, they're asked not to associate with the people that they used to associate with, yeah. which is classic cult yeah. behavior. And it's not that much of a stretch to call it a death cult. Right. Because for people that are in, especially in poor countries, who are being asked to stop using, and Sri Lanka comes to mind again, Right. who are being asked to stop using petroleum and to switch to a very unreliable, unpredictable form of energy um, and to give up their petroleum-based fertilizers and all the good things that come from 
the things that are allegedly contributing to the destruction of the planet, um, they're going to suffer from that, if not die, if not starve to death. Yeah. It's fucking... That's it's how cult works. Not too far off from that. Yeah, it, it, I, uh, another thing popped in my mind is the notion of blasphemy, which I have experienced. Mm. When you just ask questions at a nasty exchange with someone once, I said, like, you know... I'm just asking the question here, and I think I'm pretty sure we've talked about this before on the podcast. Well, I was like, I was taught in school that there's going to be an ice age, there's going to be famine, there's going to be overpopulation, then it was uh, we'd have to live underground, there'd be no more clean water. All, all, not all at once, but all in, in various, this kind of gradient at intervals like throughout my life. You're just talking about like what the next panic's going to be. You know, the latest one was global warming, the ice caps melting, the you know Greenland <laughs> disappearing into the into the sea. Uh, various U.S. cities being underwater, and all I just said, Mal, I'm 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 open to whatever idea. Like I want to hear all the ideas, right? I'm, I'm I'm not decided on anything. I don't, you know what I mean. I'd like to take in as much information I can as I can, and 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 try to kind of decipher it from there. And I'm just like, are you at all concerned, or does it stand out to you as at least being somewhat interesting that? All these predictions were 100% wrong. So I was like, oh, my, my this is the question I have. And that's, uh, you can apply the same model to the COVID stuff. It's like, why would I listen to you now, though? Like, why, do you, why, why is it that you feel that you guys nailed it this time? And I got actually screamed at, yelled at, like, where I had to, like, de-escalate. Like, okay, like, settle down. I was like, you're acting like a religious, like, I'm a heretic. You're, like, this is weird. Like, I committed blasphemy. Yeah. And that... That situation, which happened a couple of years ago, made me think. I started reframing the whole idea of the climate panic within the terms of a religious cult, and we've had several conversations about that about that since then. Yeah, you're one of the first people I've heard say that, and I've heard a lot of uh, smart people say it since then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, I'm 50 minutes of 5G, 20 minutes.